Welcome back to another episode of Take This Job and Love It. This is a podcast from Yale's Office of Career Strategy, aimed at helping you through the various aspects of finding a job and building a career you love. My name is Claire Zala, and I'm a junior in Yale College. I work with the Common Good and Creative Careers team to support Yale students interested in pursuing careers that make a difference and encourage their creativity. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by Lucas Kuntz. Lucas is a Deputy General Counsel at the Defense Innovation Unit with the Pentagon. After Yale, he graduated from the Marine Officer Candidate School, worked as a staff judge advocate and South Asia Foreign Affairs Officer, and an International Negotiations Officer at the U.S. Department of Defense. Thanks so much for speaking with me today, Lucas. Thanks for having me, Claire. So, Lucas, only about 1% of the Yale class of 2018 entered military service. What inspired you to become a Marine and work in national security? So actually, I didn't have the idea right when I got out of Yale. Um, well, actually, going back, I had the idea when I was at Yale because I was at Yale during September 11th, and uh, my freshman or my sophomore roommate and I uh, thought we should go sign up. And when we talked to the recruiter, he was basically like, "We have a million people. Come back later." And uh, we decided not to uh, at the time. And then I went back home to Missouri. Uh, to go to law school and live in the same town as my grandparents who were getting older. And while I was there, I decided to to run for office. And when I ran for office, um, I worked with this guy. Uh, I, I ran for a state representative seat. And I worked with this guy named Al. And Al had been a family friend of mine since I was a kid. Um, and I'd always, I'd always looked up to him, uh, right? He was like a state representative, state senator, and... Um, and he was he was at our church, and like when I was young, um, I was sort of I don't I don't know if you'd say a mentor, but like a family friend who helped us out. We didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up. I, I grew up in Jeff City, Missouri, and um, and so like uh, my parents helped work at the food bank at our church, and we would give dinners and stuff. And um, I remember when I was a kid, this one time, uh, Al asked if there was anyone who was willing to do the dishes. And I got super excited. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do the dishes. I'll do the dishes. Because the church uh, kitchen has a dishwasher. So I felt like I was really scamming the whole system if I could just, you know, take like silverware and stuff and, and plates and throw them in a dishwasher. We didn't have one at home. And so Al figured that out. And then uh, later later down uh, down the line, he was in charge of the church kitchen when they uh, when they upgraded their dishwasher. He, he actually brought one by our house. And brought one of the old ones by our house and installed it for us, so we'd have a dishwasher. And um, and the other thing about Al is that Al was a Vietnam veteran. And uh, and so what happened was I ran for office in 2006, and he and I were really close. Uh, I didn't win. And uh, and then in 2007, uh, I heard the State of the Union address where, you know, essentially the president said. We're going to surge in Iraq. We need to put a whole bunch more troops there. Um, it's the important thing to do. And I talked to Al. I was a Democrat. I was not really like a super fan of the president or anything. But um, I talked to Al afterwards about what it was like to go to Vietnam and uh, and why he decided to do it. And he basically said, you know, if it wasn't me, someone else would have to go. Um, so I went down and to the Marine Corps this is Al talking to me. Al says, I went down to the Marine Corps recruiting station, signed up to go to office at candidate school and, and be a Marine. 
and he did, and he went to Vietnam. And uh, like I said, you know, when one of your heroes when you're a kid and then kind of your hero as a young adult talks to you about that, you find yourself in the same situation. It was just inspirational to me. So I went down to the Marine Corps recruiting station, signed up, and you know, I got to do Iraq and Afghanistan, kind of like he did in Vietnam, I guess. So in a way, it's like you were almost caught by surprise by a career in security. It wasn't exactly what you what you intended for yourself, but then you ended up in this field. That's right. And as it turned out, um, there were a crazy amount of opportunities I would have never expected. I really loved it. Um, like I, I got to learn Pashto in the Marine Corps, uh, which is I'm a foreign affairs officer for South Asia. Um, went to Afghanistan twice, you know, tried to help rebuild the country as best I could in some pretty rough areas. Um, meet all the locals, speak the language with them. I don't know if Yale offers Pashto or not, but it's a pretty niche language, so it was pretty neat to learn it. Speaking of the roles that you played during your career, um, could you speak a little bit more to what exactly an international negotiations officer is or what a deputy general counsel at the Defense Innovation Unit does? Sure. So um, at the those are kind of later steps in the career. Um, after my first tour of duties, or that first two tours of duty. So, um, so an international negotiations officer at the Pentagon, um, um, they could do several different things, but uh, you get a portfolio in arms control uh, at the Joint Staff, um, which is kind of like the military headquarters for the military. And, um, and I got a portfolio of treaties to work, and so I would go overseas, at, uh, usually to Vienna, sometimes Brussels, Norway, Vilnius, um, I'd go about eight or ten times a year and do arms control negotiations with allies uh, and with Russia. Uh, your work also exists, you know, at kind of a really crucial intersection between security, finance, and technology. Um, you've written extensively on that field. Do you think you could speak a little bit more to um, how exactly uh, this field has become so dynamic and changing over the past few years? Yeah, I think I think kind of what's happened there is. Um, you know, for a long time during the Cold War and going back, the United States had a defense industrial complex. The U.S. government funded most of the research and development um, and pretty much all of the basic research uh, kind of in the West uh, and definitely in the country. And uh, and then what happened in like the after the Cold War ended, um, we sort of there was this thing called the Last Supper where like the Department of Defense um, under Bill Clinton said, we need to, you know, you guys are used to getting a lot of money during the Cold War. We're going to lower the budget. You guys need to consolidate, uh, which from my point of view, um, as someone who likes capitalism and open markets, that's like intentionally consolidating an industry, reducing competitiveness and reducing innovation is not really a good plan. And so, so what happened there is defense spending went down, um, U.S. government, Research and development went pretty far down, although we still do, the federal government still funds like 44% of basic research, so there's still a lot there. But um, but our, our research and development overall money went down. Uh, the defense marketplace, like all the other marketplaces in America, really consolidated a lot, um, driving up prices for the part of defense and kind of reducing innovation. And so, um, and there's, so those I guess that's about three things, right? Cold War spending went down, uh, R&D went down for the government, um, 
and the marketplace consolidated. And so what those three things did is they kind of uh, they kind of made the Department of Defense much more reliant on commercial technology, uh, since that's where the money is coming from. And, and and the other thing that happened is technology advanced really fast. Uh, we got into the computer age, we got into the internet age, information age, all that stuff. And so the federal government now is. You know, where we used to be kind of a leader, or Department of Defense used to be a leader in technology, we're we're a follower in technology, and we're we're honestly a price taker for a lot of things in the commercial realm. And so, the one of the things, well, one of the great things about being in the U.S. military is we're not really you you spoke about my writing, we're not really like, uh, I guess you'd say censored. Like I can as long as it's not as long as I'm not using information that I got from my work that's not published, they'll pretty let pretty much let let us write about what we want to write about. Um, and so there's a lot of opportunity to explore things like what's going on in the tech world. And um, I don't know, anyway, that's that's something I saw where we had an issue and I really wanted to engage in it. And it wasn't my primary duty. Um, but yeah, I wrote a couple of articles on it. And uh, I think it's a really critical issue that we're focused, that we're facing right now. So if I understand correctly, yeah, does ahead. your work at the innovation unit um, work to close the gap? between like the technology yeah, gap between right. the U.S. and everyone else? And so based on that writing, actually, is how I ended up at the Defense Innovation Unit. I was, I had my resignation, and I was going to get out and go work in a think tank downtown. And the general counsel of the Defense Innovation Unit uh, called me up and said, hey, you know, we've seen you writing on these topics. You've got some good ideas. Um, why don't you come here and help us work just in the law, policy, and things like that? Because what we're trying to do is accelerate the adoption of commercial technology into the Department of Defense, figure out ways to get get past some of the kind of stagnant or overbearing procurement laws uh, that are in place uh, and make it so that some of the smaller companies have an easier time working with the Department of Defense. But if you don't have like a team of lawyers, it's hard to work. It, it can be hard to work with the, with the DOD. Like, there's a lot of rules that you got to go through, the federal acquisition regulations. Uh, can be onerous. Speaking of challenges, um, what would you say would be the biggest reward or challenge in your career working in, in national defense? I think the thing that I found most personally rewarding was probably leading Marines on combat missions in Iraq uh, when I first got in, just because my res- the responsibility for me was to make sure that me and my team of 12 or 15 guys, uh, we were out doing police training in uh, uh, Fallujah, Ramadi, you know, towns people might have heard of, uh, in a fairly dangerous part of Iraq. And, uh, you know, every day I got to work with these guys, and we were very mission-focused. We wanted to accomplish the mission, all come home safely. And, uh, you know, they were, I was pretty young, and they were way younger than me. They were college-aged men, and, you know, just the professionalism they put forward, the love for their country, and the dedication under pretty hard circumstances, um, was pretty impressive, and, and none of us were like real believers in the Iraq War either. Everybody pretty much just wanted to wanted to serve their country. You know, we don't decide. Uh, there's, and I'm, I actually kind of touched on this in one of my writings. Um, you know, the military doesn't decide when to go to war, right? That's decided by politicians, and you know, we just are there to serve and we do our best. Thank you for your service. No, thanks for the paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> um. I would really love to backtrack a little bit and talk about mm-hmm. your Yale experience. Um, some okay. people might view a degree in classical civilizations, um, which is your bachelor's, 
uh, as an unusual preparation for a career in national security. Um, in what way do you think your Yale experience has prepared you for your career? Uh, I think that, I think honestly that the best thing that the Yale, that Yale gave me was just the credential of going to Yale. It's, it's been, I've been very surprised at how important that's been. And uh, that actually, uh, and this is me being frank, but like when you pair up Yale along with military service, like thousands of doors open that, that wouldn't be open to one of those alone, um, or to someone who didn't have either. I mean, I've got I've gotten to be a member on the Council on Foreign Relations. Um, the military sent me to Columbia Law School for a year. Well, you know, they paid all the tuition. They um, they gave me a full salary during the time. I had an apartment over at Central Park. Um, like there are just a lot of doors that open with those two credentials because it shows capability and it shows um, I guess a dedication to the country. Do you think that military service is a prerequisite for a career in security? No, I don't think it is at all, but I think it I think it opens a lot of doors. It it really makes you stand out because it says um I've I've done something grueling and unexpected and very dedicated to the country that not everybody is willing to do. You mentioned uh 1% of Yale graduates went into the military or maybe less, I don't know. Um I was trying to think of anyone else from my year, and I couldn't. Uh, so it's, you know, it's not your standard. It's not your standard move. And, I, and I'll say this, too. Like, I, I go around town, and uh, in, I live in Washington, D.C., um, and I go to pretty fancy events and stuff, and I'm always surprised that, that people don't really talk about me, but they'll talk about someone like Senator Tom Cotton, um, and they'll just say, you know, he went to Harvard and then he, you know, and then he joined the military. Like, that's a big deal to a lot of people because it's, it's unexpected. And, I mean, he probably did it with a very calculated purpose, but, I mean, people can have calculated purposes and still, you know, it's still okay. So, if, if someone is listening to this and, and calculating, I want to do X, Y, or Z, uh, they should know that, Coming out of Yale, if you go down to Wall Street for two years, you know, you may make a lot of money um, and you may get certain connections, but you're not going to get the same connections and you're not going to get the same level of prestige um, and credibility that you can get by going to the military. I guess going off of that, do you have any advice for students or are there any qualities that you think are important to have working in this industry? I mean, my best advice to students would be to just follow their heart. Like, when I went to law school, I didn't really want to be, to be a lawyer. I just didn't know what, uh, what else I was going to do. I knew I did not want to go to finance um, or tech. And so I I actually followed, I just followed my family. My grandparents were getting older. Um, they were starting to get Alzheimer's, and I wanted to spend time with them. And you know, University of Missouri is the town that they lived in. Uh, so it was, a, it was a good thing for me. It was a good place for me to go, but going to law school, you know, I just kind of half-assed it. And then when I did something that inspired me uh, by following Al into the Marine Corps, that's when I think my my life really kind of accelerated into something that I was happy about and proud of. And I guess my final question for today is, what are your hopes for the future? Uh, well, that's a pretty broad question. Yeah, <laughs> get some pretty interesting answers. Uh, yeah, like for me or for the world? For you. Well, how, how would you interpret that question? Uh, oh, for me. Yeah. 
like how would I, what would I hope to do? I mean, I want to keep working in public service. What I would, what I really want to do is I want to keep writing like I've been writing. Um, I have some pretty unique perspectives on like what I would call a common defense theory, uh, how we spend our money in the military, how perhaps some of that money could be spent better, even in non-military sectors in ways that would provide for a better defense for us um, and more security. So uh, I want to keep writing about that stuff and then hopefully get appointed at some point in an administration uh, in the Pentagon, probably somewhere in acquisitions and logistics. Sounds really cool. Well, thank you so much, Lucas, for joining me here today. This was awesome. Yeah, thanks, Claire. It was good talking to you. All right. That was Lucas Kuntz, the Deputy General Counsel at the Defense Innovation Unit with the Pentagon. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast today. Bye. Bye.